When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, hope everyone is well, man. I mean, what a week we've had. It's been an absolute madness, if you ask me. I still can't believe it, you know. From just another weekend in world, in world football to an announcement that there's going to be an alliance of 12 clubs, up to 20 clubs even, taking part in the new European Super League. What the hell is going on, man? I mean, the announcement had everyone across Europe in football in an uproar. You know, it was almost almost became a civil war where you had chairmen, you know, stepping down and chief executives losing their jobs. You know, you had a, even Boris Johnson got involved at one point. And in the midst of all of that, you've even had Mourinho get sacked a couple of days before a Carabao Cup final. Honestly, it's a mad thing. I don't know what the hell was going on. But what I do know <laughs> is that you lot should head over to Twitter and Instagram and let me know your thoughts. That's at the coaches net on Twitter and at the coaches network on Instagram. But before we get to today's episode, guys, with a fascinating guest, it was a really enjoyable conversation. I want to take a moment just to read out one of our latest reviews and make a couple announcements for you guys. First of all, let me start with a review. It's a five-star review that was left for us on Apple Podcast by Coach Leban. And Leban says, It's been a great podcast. I started listening early on when there were only a fair few episodes. The topics are informative and the guests are highly knowledgeable and experienced in their fields. Leban, I just want to say thank you for that review. I really appreciate it, bro. But to the rest of you that have been following the podcast, I'm truly humbled and grateful for all your guys' support, man. Honestly, it's been a a fascinating journey so far. And the feedback that I've been receiving, both via the social media, via the reviews... It's been really useful and motivating for me to keep this great content coming. Now, on that note, I want you guys to all pause this episode right now. Take 30 seconds of your time. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Let me know your thoughts on the podcast, whether it's a specific episode or whether it's just a show in general. Every single one of you that leaves a review, it honestly does wonders for helping me get up the charts on this podcast. And gives an opportunity for people that haven't come across it to get access to it too. So please go ahead over and do that right now. Now, I mean, to think, having released my first episode in May last year, and we're coming up to a year nearly, but, you know, just going up to 11 months now, and today's going to be episode 103. It's a madness, you know, to think a year ago, if someone told me that I'll be having a podcast, let alone 103 damn episodes. Anyways, man, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been involved, whether you've been a guest, whether you've been a listener, follower, silent follower, whoever you are. If you've been involved in some way, I want to say thank you guys. It's been a massive support. But it does take a lot of work. It does take a lot of time and a lot of effort. Bear in mind, we're in the midst of a pandemic where it's been difficult for everyone. So, you know, it's your support that's kept me going. But 
on that note, a lot of people have been getting in touch, throwing me questions via the DMs and even messaging me saying, yes, you've been releasing all this all this content, but now we're only seeing it once a week. So on that note, guys, I have decided to scale back a little bit. Doesn't mean you're going to get any less quality of the content. We still got some fascinating content coming out, fascinating guests and conversations taking place. But we do need your support to keep it going. So on that note, guys, you can now support the Coaches Network podcast with as little as a cup of coffee on Patreon, where you can get early access to some future content that's coming out, as well as some extended episodes and many other benefits to come. But head over to www patreon.com forward slash the coaches network to find out more about that your support will be truly appreciated and a massive shout out to those guys who are already on patreon big up to you guys finally guys before we get to today's episode and i'm proud to announce also we've recently launched our coach education program and our new coach mentoring program will be starting next month in may so on the eve of our first birthday i'm pleased and proud to announce that we'll be launching the coach mentoring program for may 2021 where i'll be taking coaches through a four-part system over the course of four weeks to help everyone involved get closer to achieving their coaching craft mastery finally guys don't forget to head over to our social media again that's twitter at the coaches net and instagram at the coaches network to find out more information on that or you can get in touch by dropping me an email on info at thecoachesnetwork.co.uk finally guys i just want to thank you again for your time today now to today's episode hope you enjoy it let me know your thoughts leave me a review and let me know your key takeaways take care guys hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name's coach yas and i'm a with a license football coach coach developer and content creator I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Yes, good evening. Great to be with you all. Uh, first time on Clubhouse, so we'll see how it goes for me. <laughs> I'm catching up slowly with all of the latest trends. Um, my name is Tom Bates. Uh, I'm a coach, uh, author of the book, uh, The Future Coach. Um, and I guess you could say uh, speaker. Uh, as well. So my job is really um, predominantly within professional football. Um, in Tokyo, I'll be traveling, uh, sorry, in the summer, I'll be traveling to uh, Tokyo, which is going to be the, the rescheduled Olympic Games 2021 to support the British Olympic uh, swimming team and um, other work that I do, I guess, it extends out into education uh, and executive leadership, really, for uh, the corporate sector. Uh, so in sport, education and business, performance psychologist and UA4A licensed coach. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction, Tom. So guys, uh, you know, we're here this evening with Tom Bates um, to discuss the idea of peak performance, what it means, what it looks like and how we you know, reach it. So Tom, I just want to start the conversation off right there in it, um, you know, and I'm sure we're going to go into a lot of your experience. I'm sure you might have some interesting stories for us to kind of tap into and think about. Um, but to start with, you know, what what is peak performance to you? And you know, and we'll kind of just tail off from there, really. Oh, that's a great question. Yes, you know, probably if you'd have asked me fifteen years ago that question, I might have given you a completely different answer. Um, to me, back then was peak performance. Um, I was looking at you know the very highest level of sport, the Premier League, the English Premier League, the Champions League, 
representing your country at the World Cup, you know, I would measure uh, the standards of the highest possible level as the peak of performance. And, you know, to a degree for the senior athletes, senior pros that I'm working with at the minute, that is the highest level and they measure themselves against those standards set at that highest level. But I think as I've uh, evolved, and I remember starting out my very first coaching job with the under nines all the way down to the uh, AFC Bournemouth on the South Coast. It was amazing. Eddie Howe was uh, my uh, center of excellence manager, and I was um, privileged to work with a guy called Joe Roach, who now is still the head of youth down there at AFC Bournemouth. And uh, Joe's a great guy, and, and he gave me my first opportunity in coaching. And um, you know, it's funny, I remember think, thinking back now all those years ago to the, to the under-9s team, you know, the, the, the players were just like, you know, little sponges, enthusiastic to learn and absorb all the teaching that they possibly could. And I remember thinking back now, so the answer I give you now is different to back then, right? Because the answer I give you now about peak performance is really unleashing your absolute optimum potential for who you are not compared to anyone else, not compared to the standards of the Champions League or the World Cup or the Premier League. But peak performance to me, as I understand it, is to uh, help others to unleash their full potential that they're truly capable of. And that's such a special privilege because so many individuals, not just in sport and in professional football, but in education, in music, um, you know, television presenters that I work with, or business. We, all of us have different journeys and we all accelerate, you know, at different times for different reasons. We've got a different journey to, to unleash that full potential. So peak performance for me really is about the realization of that inner potential, that optimum potential that we each have. And we all have it. So it's about finding what it is for us and, you know, unleashing that as best we can. I think that's a great, I guess, a great way to look at it. You know, to kind of start off, then you know, you talk about helping people reach their peak potential, um, whatever that might look like for them. Now, what are some of the things that you might want to start looking at as, I guess, indicators of peak performance? Obviously, uh, the perception of these things is obviously very different for each individual. Um, what performance is in general? Obviously, you know, if I ask that same question to someone else, the answer could be very different. Um, so, you know, I guess. From your perspective as a practitioner then and having worked with people across different industries and not just within you know within football or just the sports as a, as a whole mm. are there any uh, you know uh consistent factors that people kind of look to identify as uh you know identify well factors of key performance or peak performance even um and beyond that is there any you know major differences that you see depending on the industries that you're i guess looking at within if that makes sense as well. Yeah, yeah, really good question. I mean, it's such a fascinating concept, isn't it? Because because how we measure peak performance largely is, 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 is fundamentally flawed. If uh, we had the answers in professional football, right, academies everywhere, someone would, some academy director somewhere would have their feet, you know, <laughs> up on the beach <laughs> on a holiday and they'd have cracked it, you know, how to spot potential and... Uh, help potential to thrive and some of that's about the environment um, but a lot of that is about the inner qualities of, of the person of the sports athlete um, one of the stories that springs to mind just as I'm speaking to you now is I remember moving from the south coast coming to Birmingham City 
And that was the first time I came into contact with a, a very young 16-year-old, uh, Nathan Redmond. Uh, now is, of course, uh, in the Premier League at Southampton, represented England, etc. And back then, he was uh, a young 16-year-old um, who I was just started to work with in the youth team. Mm. And I remember coming into the training ground at Wast Hills but at Birmingham one day, a little bit early, ready for a gym session. And the only person that was in was the cleaner. And I, I remember thinking how great it was to be in before the rest of the staff because I get the gyms myself. And then I, and I opened the gym door at the training ground and I remember seeing just this, uh, this little figure over there in the distance on the mat doing some you know, a serious amount of push-ups and you know, dripping with sweat. And I thought to myself, wow, this is, uh, who, who, which player is this who's come in this early? And uh, at that time, I didn't know Nathan because I was working with the under-18s. He was just only 16 at that time. And um, I, I remember thinking when I was speaking to Nathan, you know, what, what, what led to him coming in that early, uh, doing extras, and uh, as our relationship improved over the years, you know, he very quickly got spotted by the, the youth uh, England international setup and was invited for trials and represented the first team at Birmingham very quickly, and of course went on to 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 improve ever since. But I remember thinking he told me a story about having to catch two buses to the training ground. He's uh, from a single parent family. His mum, Michelle, is um, an incredible uh, driving force in his life. Uh, he comes from humble beginnings. Um, he wasn't you know, financially wealthy at all. But uh, I, when I was speaking to him that morning in the gym that day, um, I remember thinking to myself, that there is within this person a spark inside of them. There is an inner drive, a quality that is unshakable in terms of the effort that he's willing to put in especially when no one's watching. And it sounds a little bit cliche, but no one was watching that day, you know? There was no one that was going to find out that he was in early. No one was standing over it to make sure that he did it. He wasn't recovering from an injury. There was just a spark that grew into a flame. So when you're asking about the early signs of what, how to spot peak performance, the thing that I would say, and probably this is cross-contextual, right, is that... There must be an inner desire. Mm. A lot of popular psychologists, you know, they'll talk about how a little bit of their job is to motivate other people, you know, and um, how to get the best out of someone is that you have to motivate them. And, you know, yes, I'm not so sure that it's possible to really motivate anyone. I mean, I say that because, and that sounds quite controversial. What do you mean it's not possible to motivate anyone? Mm. Like, surely, you know, we listen to music and you watch inspirational videos and we... You know, yes, all of that absolutely can be an inspiration. But before that, there has to be something inside the person. You know, you can't have a fire without spark. There has to be something within. And, I'm, you know, you hear managers talking about this idea that you can't give that to someone. And that doesn't mean to say that we can't inspire mm. as coaches. We can't, we can't um, light the, the heart, if you like, ahead. But we can't take the steps for them. We can't take steps for another. So that inequality of of uh, intention, of drive, of um, wanting to be something more. You know that inner feeling that there is more to give. That must come from within. One hundred percent. I think you make some great, good points. And you know, a couple of things just kind of respring really out for me around what you said. Is first of all, you you're very, um, I guess 
descriptive about his maybe his upbringing and his environmental factors and also i'm curious to know maybe through having conversations with him maybe as an individual or maybe some research that you've potentially come across in the past whether there's actually any uh, links to having a, a, an upbringing like that or a, a similar to that that has a correlation with people who tend to be uh higher or more outstanding performers if you like um i mean i've got a couple of us but we'll start with that yeah, well, first of all, I'm sure. I mean, I'm not sure about the literature and what it suggests, but from my personal experience working within, you know, the industry, multiple football clubs, academy, youth mm. international, senior domestic, all the way through to senior international, that is something that appears again and again. Out of the 1.5 million grassroots players that start, you know, no hunger in paradise, the research um, uh, by colleagues suggests that, you know, out of 1.5 million that start, uh, a percentage of 0.012 make it out of 1.5 million that start grassroots. And you know, you have to. I have to say that one of the one of the one of the great problems that's systemic or endemic of modern day football academy is that. Um, Everything is taken care of for the players developing through the academies. Pretty much everything. You know, they have uh, nutritional advice, they have psychologists, they have strength and conditioning coaches, they have transportation, they have accommodation sorted for them, they've got minibus drivers that pick them up and take them everywhere. You know, literally everything is taken care of. So, you know, if, you, if it's the reverse of creating an independent um, thinking athlete, an athlete that's able to self-regulate, self-manage, manage not just their professional careers, but also their lives. And so in many ways, with the best of intentions, academies are, you know, I'm not judging them. I was part of that system for some years. Uh, but in many ways, the academy with the best intentions is harming, not helping. Mm. They're reducing the levels of hunger, inner hunger, inner desire. Uh, you know, if I'm earning a substantial amount of money by the time I'm 15, 16 in a competitive market, then, you know, I could feel like I've made it before I've made it. And senior pros talk about young ones coming through the system and walking around like they've already had 50 appearances mm. before they've even done anything. And that can, that can be a really rude awakening for some, for some of the young players coming through, you know. So I think something that is very important to help keep feet on the ground, so to speak, is learning the value of the things that we're surrounded by. Uh, and um, I mean, there's all sorts of influences. We can take this conversation wherever you want to go, really. But social media is a big influence. You know, everybody wants to post the, the five-star lifestyle and not necessarily represent the challenge or the struggle, which is the real, you know, there simply isn't any great success without significant struggle and challenge. And it is tough. It's hard. No, I think you make some great points. So obviously, that you know, really, what you're referring to is obviously the modern day player and and, and what, how much has changed in that respect. So I guess, and this probably you know probably ties in with your book a little bit. And in terms of the future coach, what does the modern day coach need to look like to kind of manage some of these 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 factors? And you know, as you're talking there, I'm thinking, right, is Tom just telling me really what what you know in in short in brief? that actually today's performers aren't as effective as performers as they once were or potentially once could have been. 
and um, because so much is being done for them essentially um which you know I, I totally understand the logic behind that um so i guess you know coming back to a previous point you mentioned about you know uh, trying to motivate someone it this i guess this is where the question came from initially because obviously if if for someone like nathan as you touched on there maybe coming from a background like that would maybe uh feel like there's a there's a, there's, a, there's some lack potentially of something in his life um and, and you know almost that that hunger and that drive comes from having that lack if you like what would be you know i guess how does that then differ and you know you said there is many examples of people coming from similar backgrounds and similar upbringings but you also get people on the flip side of that Mm, you know, what are some of the key i guess factors and differences maybe when you're looking at those people and how they're able to manage their performances and uh, reach a peak performance if you like yeah yes great question um for me you know having you know i know nathan personally i've worked with him for several years and um i think the meaning and purpose nathan saw a light a reward at the end of that hard work and the reward was to help his family to live a better life Mm. And so it wasn't really about him, actually. It was about helping his mum and his brothers and sisters to have uh, something that they didn't have at that time, right? To repay them, in a sense, for their love and support, um, for taking them to training, you know, three, four, five, six days a week, uh, sometimes uh, traveling all around the country to support him. And um, and at that time, it really wasn't about success either. It was like, you know, win, lose, or draw, we love you anyway. There was an unconditional love that was given from his mum. Of course, he saw the light of making it as a professional to give back to his mum and dad, uh, brothers and sisters. So I think for those that come from more privileged backgrounds, um, uh, I was speaking with, uh, I'm up to Leeds United tomorrow, and one of um, the players at, at Leeds were talking about Patrick Bamford. You know, there's significant wealth in the family, JCB, comes from a very well-educated background. And so that doesn't necessarily mean to say that he, there's um, that uh, people who come from, uh, from a better financial background mm. aren't necessarily as hungry. But I think that the point here is about a strong enough purpose, a reason for doing what you do. And when you dig deep behind the reason that, you know, that someone will give you, any high achiever that they give you for, for going out and, and that drive that is demonstrated, what they do consistently every single day, no matter what, no matter whether they're successful, whether they fail, there is that relentless drive. I think you find a very strong purpose behind it all. No, definitely. I think there's two kind of key things I want to kind of bring out there. Uh, I hope you can touch them before I forget them, really. But the first one is obviously looking at the financial element. You know, there's been a bit of a, a there's been a bit of a discussion in the press recently regarding Patrick Bamford and you know, uh, I guess his comments comments made by Sean Dyche as an example um, around his upbringing and you know, you know he's he's coming from a privileged background, as you say. That's uh, the, the first aspect. The second bit I want to kind of touch on is that. It's just, it might be, you might have an answer for this, you might not, but that reason, essentially what you're saying is you're understanding the why, really, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, why you do what you're doing and, and the importance of that why. I'm curious to know, is it possible to generate a why for something that you don't have a passion for? That's a really great question. Goodness me. Is it? So can you find a reason? So you're not genuinely, you're not authentically. Is that mm. what you mean? Essentially. So as, as an example, you know, you've got 
footballers that come out now, some of them say they don't actually enjoy playing the game. Um, but obviously they've, you know, they've got, a, they've got a talent, they've got an ability to kind of perform at a certain level and they make a living out of it. Um, but it's not necessarily their passion now. It's maybe not the best example, but let's say outside of the sporting world or outside of football specifically, is it possible to see an avenue that can be lucrative and worthwhile or in some ways, but it's not a passion and be able to find a why for that? Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. So it's a really good... Now, I, I definitely... Uh, what you're saying is so true because I've met and have worked with at different times in my career senior professionals who have fallen out of love with the game or they don't really love the game uh, at all. Uh, and, you know, if they are, if you ask them, what do you do after you go home and watch Match of the Day? Do you watch the, you know, the highlights on Sky? Do you watch your games back? They'll say... Absolutely not. I don't go anywhere near football at all after I've played or trained. And, um, you know, it's not actually, a, surprisingly, there are more than we think. Mm. There are more than we think. And I think it's partly due to the image and of, of football on the screen. You know, everybody sees the stage performance. Nobody sees what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and that is not as pretty <laughs> as as the, the shining lights of Sky Sports, right? Um, but I, I think what happens is, even for those players, their, their why is strong enough because they see it as an occupational way to support their family or to um, create uh, investments in other businesses, for example. That's getting even more now uh, popular in, in the modern day situation, especially when players earn so much money per week, you know? So they are aware that they don't love what they do necessarily as much as they used to, or perhaps they never did, <laughs> but they're extremely good at it. Is it possible to generate a strong enough why? Absolutely, because it's a clinical why. Mm. I know that if I perform at a level, then this outcome, financial outcome, is going to support other investments that I have. And those investments are going to return a profit. So I'm still motivated. Or, you know, I know if I play very well or score this many goals, then goal bonuses are going to mean X. And that means that I'll be able to pay off mum and dad's house mm. at the end of it, for example. So it's not necessarily, um, doesn't have to be a why because you love it. Uh, and that's from my experiences. I would have to say yes, though, you know, that if you, if it, this is a contentious one, isn't it? But for those players that really love it, I would say when it gets particularly difficult, you know, hard, mm. dark mornings, you know, wet, cold, drizzly days, times when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. or whatever it is, and you've got, you know, you've got a travel session or whatever. And you're going, I really could just deal with a day off now. I've just played two games in a week and my legs are about to fall off. I think I think players that genuinely love it are, or are in love with um, performing at their very highest level, mentally, emotionally, technically, tactically, physically, spiritually, you know, there's something that happens that mm. transcends this transactional idea, you know, beyond. So I don't think you have to love it. It's possible to make it and not love it. But I think if you love it or love the journey, if you like, then um, performance can reach a new level. 
Awesome, that's some great points there. Guys, just want to quickly refresh the room for everyone. Um, you're, you're tuning into a live edition of the Coaches Network podcast. I'm here with Tom Bates, um, UA for A licensed coach, performance psychologist, speaker, and author of the book, The Future Coach. Uh, Tom's taken out his time this evening to talk to us about reaching peak performance, what that looks like, what it means, if we can even establish a definition for it. Um, but, you know, Tom, it's kind of break back into your last point there. You know, you talked there about it is possible to generate that why if, if, if the, I guess, the, the profit the profit off the back of it or the gain can be, you know, attached to an investment or something else that, that means something to the person, essentially. Um, now, with that, naturally comes pressure. So I guess from that perspective, you know, first of all, again, you know, I'm really keen to get your perspective and your definition of what you define pressure to be. Um, and then how maybe you've seen that impact people in different ways and maybe start to explore a little bit further around, is there ways that we can kind of, uh, if you like, prepare to deal with pressure? Um, and look at it from a maybe pre, during, and after phase, if that makes sense. And I don't know if that's a strategy or a, a, a way in which you can look at it, but it'd be very interesting to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, really good. First of all, one of my favourite authors, he's passed on now, but speakers, Dr. Wayne Dyer, he, was, um, he had this wonderful phrase that um, I was listening to on YouTube one day, and it struck me, you know, something that I've always remembered and I keep coming back to it and I share it with, you know, everybody I speak with, if I can remember. <laughs> and uh, he's talking about, he says, there is no pressure. There is no anxiety in the world. There is no stress out there in the world. Mm. There are only people, and you could say players, teams, coaches, managers, thinking anxiously, thinking stressful thoughts so this i that's an insight into why i love that is because it's an insight into the nature of emotion isn't it and mm. when we think about pressure we tend to think about how the media frames it to us it's a cup final or these three points mean that we make the playoffs or if we don't win and we are gonna go down and get relegated or you know etc etc and a large amount of that is an inner process it's not an external reality. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is how we perceive, how we see the world, okay, whether it's accurate or not, becomes our reality, becomes mm. true for us. In a sense, we create our own realities, right? Because the way that we think affects the way we feel. The way that we feel defines our behaviors in a sporting context, defines our performances. But it all starts with thought, with a cognition. That said, yes, um, for the highest performers that I've ever worked with, they perceive pressure as a privilege. Mm. It's a great thing to have for them. In fact, they need it. They actively seek it out to be able to thrive. And when, I, when you speak to them, they will tell you, unless there's a bit of pressure, then I can't, there's no way I can be at my best. I need that. You know, I want the fans mm. to be in the stadium. I want all eyes on me. <laughs> I need this to mean something. You know, one of my mentors, Bill Beswick, told me a great story about uh, Roy Keane. They just won the Premiership title away at Southampton. They were flying back for Manchester United. Uh, Bill was sat next to Sir Alex Ferguson. Roy Keane comes down the plane and he says to Sir Alex, um, boss, 
uh, I can't play on Saturday. This is just after Manchester United have won the league. And Sir Alex Ferguson says, what do you mean, Roy? We need you to play Saturday. Roy says, no, I'm not playing Saturday. I don't play friendlies. <laughs> Great. I mean, he's a warrior, right? Mm, it's mm. a different mindset completely. He's very unique in lots of different ways. But essentially, there is something about the makeup of a high performer that needs that pressure, that seeks that pressure out. Not only that, but they see it, see it and perceive it as a real privilege, something that gets them going. It's an exciting place to be, right? And you can think about this if we were going to give a presentation at work, the more people, the better, or there's a certain number, you know, there's a lot of money riding on this presentation or this pitch or whatever, or I'm just about to meet the CEO of whatever company that I'm about to pitch to. You know, that's exciting, right? This is a sign that if I feel a little bit of pressure, I'm getting ready to go. It's a great thing, right? <laughs> on the flip side of that, having said all of that, pressure can sometimes unhinge athletes mm. and it can uh, you know harm performance largely because we think about some kind of negative consequence to, to failure so fear of failure can certainly come in and i can be afraid of the negative consequence or i can be afraid of success good stuff like this doesn't normally happen to someone like me this is too good to be true mm-hmm. right there's a bit of pressure here and oftentimes we come back to this idea of the way we see and perceive it is really the key. If it's something that I think is going to help me, then it will. You know, it's, it's this idea of um, the placebo effect. Mm. A, a pill with no pharmacology whatsoever can have the same, you know, molecular effects, the same physiological responses, hormonal responses in the, in the body, physiologically, mm. as, uh, as, a, as, as the actual medicine itself. Now, why is that? That's a great question to ask. It can only mean that the mind has a significant power. The power of the mind. I think, yes, we're only just beginning to scratch the surface, really, of the power Mm. of the mind. Science is starting to catch up and, you know, with the developments being able to prove this. But really, the power of the mind is um, the greatest. If we can harness the power of the mind, you know, the mind really is the athlete. Mm. The body simply the means to jump higher, run faster, be quicker. The mind really is the athlete. No, I love that. And I think, you know, I just wanted to do, you talk there really about, you know, the pressure element it and how some people basically can thrive off it and some people essentially crumble off it. Um, I'm conscious to know maybe from a practitioner perspective as a coach, how, how wide is that spectrum? How, how many notches should there be on that dial? Um, how soon and how... Uh, I guess, or how long should we wait before we maybe dial it up and dial it down? And is there, a, you know, a, any ideas around whether that should be dialed up earlier in the week, later in the week, depending on, you know, uh, you know, game day minus one, game day minus four, and so on and so forth. Um, very interested to kind of pick your brains on that and, you know, maybe take it from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating um, question because I was walking just the weekend uh, in uh, in the hills with a friend of mine called Jason Fox. He's um, ex-SBS, SAS. He, he's the show on uh, Channel 4, SAS, Who Dares Wins. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, civilians and celebrities that go in, into camp and they train, they're essentially exposed 
to all of the pressures that the SAS um, recruits would face when they're trying to make it, mm. okay? and um, special selection for the forces. And I was saying to him, you know, how did you, how did you, and you know, this, yes, this is out of sport context mm. now. This is mm. like military life at the, at the highest level of the military. You know, he, I was um, asking him about times when he would be hanging out in the back of a helicopter and he was just about to be deployed on a mission and, you know, bullets would be flying up at the helicopter and he's down this zip wire and the helicopter's not landing and he knows that as soon as he lands, he's going to be bombarded. So this is not like if I make a mistake, we lose the game. Mm. If I make a mistake, uh, I get subbed off. Or if I make a mistake, you know, we, this is life and death. I can't imagine a more pressurized situation. And I was fascinated to, you know, how do you get to train your mind to thrive, perform optimally under that amount of pressure when you know the single slightest mistake can be life and death, not just for you, but all of your, your squadron, you know? And he said to me, well, to be honest, the greatest advantage that we had within the military is that uh, down at Limstone, the Royal Marines uh, headquarters, is that 95% uh, of our time was spent training in conditions that were unimaginable. Mm. We trained for every single eventuality, upside down, strapped into helicopters in a blacked out swimming pool, you know, bombarded. Just he, he went into all of the different scenarios. And he said to me, to a degree, when I got to that, that mission, I went into autopilot. So I, I had already trained my mind to deal and respond to all the unpredictable scenarios that could happen. I'd envisage responding in the right way, overcoming challenges. He said his mind simply was able to perform under pressure because of the training that they underwent. Just, just a question on that then. Because of the training now, the mind was able to deal with the pressure. So I guess, you know, what sparked in my head is, right, so how much variability should there then be within the training session, one? Uh, the second one is obviously, uh, you touched on that, they trained for essentially every eventuality. Um, now, I guess if I took it away from that element and moved it back into sport, for instance, we're looking at, I guess, really that random variable situation. How many, how many different potential outcomes could there be? Um, but then obviously in response to a situation like that with the SAS training and whatnot, there's probably only certain limited responses or limited outcomes you can probably predict. My naivety tells me. Um, whereas maybe in the in in a sport context, it's probably it's probably again still it can still be random. It's still an element of uh, limited predictability. But there's probably again, feel free to kind of occur, uh, you know contradict me or go against me if you like. But I would say there's still an element of more certainty around the outcomes that could occur, if that makes sense. In sport, yeah. In sport, in yes, sport. in sport. Um, as yeah. opposed to that of you know what an, an SAS uh, you know soldier or might be training for or the conditions they might train under because of you know the the severity of the situation, if you like. So I guess from that perspective, you then. Think so. Yeah. Pardon. Yeah, you think so? I was, I was, I was the same as you. Before I get to got to you know speak to him and ask the questions, I was exactly the same as you. I thought to myself, 
you know, surely there's only a set number of things that could possibly take place. But, you know, Foxy tells me, told me stories about um, they'd have these plans, they'd get up in the helicopter and right at the last minute they'd receive a piece of intelligence that would say, you need to change, you need to tear up everything that you've prepared. No, but that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm touching on. So in, in a sport context, we're probably not going to get that as often. And if, if there is something that comes out, it's, again, feel free to kind of go against me, but I, I feel there's only a certain amount of outcomes that we can probably uh, predict or that will occur that we haven't seen or been able to prepare for. Whereas in a situation like that, I don't know, anything could occur really. Uh, literally anything could occur, uh, especially because it's out in an open environment where, you know, you can't control what's happening in the air, if you like. Um, so I think that, you know, that variability and that unpredictability around that is probably going to naturally bring more pressure to the situation. But you know, it is interesting. I was, at, I was listening to a conversation this morning um, and the idea of... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details just kind of letting things be. Um, it's, you know, it just brought me around to this concept of, you know, back in you know, the cliche saying of, you know, control the controllables and just focus on what you can actually control. Forget about everything else. Everything else is going to happen anyway, um, whether, whether you want it to happen or not. So I guess from that perspective, it makes me think, right, what is pressure then? <laughs> pressure is what you create yourself. And it comes, it comes back to the, you know, the saying that you, that you mentioned earlier. I can't remember who the gentleman was now, but, you know, People, Wayne yeah, yeah, Wayne Dyer. Dyer. So, you know, people just think stressfully rather than it actually being stressed, if that makes sense. And uh, I guess if you come back to the concept of the placebo effect, they're naturally, you know, they're almost having a placebo effect in that manner as well. They're generating that stress rather than actually, uh, well, it's almost, there's no stress, but because they're thinking about the stress, they're generating stress. Now they are stressed, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's quite fascinating how, how I guess, how the, how the mind works in that way. So I guess, you know, from that perspective, kind of linking it back to the sport context and as a coach, I'm now thinking, right, how do I now find the right level of pressure where it's, I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone, but you're kind of on the, you know, you're, you're not too far over the other end of it where, you, you know, any given point now you could just tip off and crumble. But actually you're on that point there. Um, and it kind of, I want to use that word that you touched on earlier, but uh, you do feel like you can manage independently um but you're almost you've got your toe toe half in toe half out if you like Mm. wow so so many things i could do we could do this for three hours i'm sure easily (laughs) i love talking about this um uh you know i knew it was going to be a great uh time together the um 
so that that concept of the independent athlete, right? Um, and let's get back to the independent athlete and dialing up pressure. First of all, I think as coaches, we have to see the world through the eyes of our players. We have to know the personality. We have to know the person mm. behind the player, and we have to be very. We have to be so curious and explore um, who they really are. How do they? How, what gets the very best from them? Because it's going to be different for every player, right? What works for one is not going to work for all. It's not one size fits all. It's understanding the individual. Because when you understand the person, the individual, both the person and the performer self, you get to understand what they need. Now, what they need might not be the arm around the shoulder. What they need. There's a great story. A friend of mine, uh, Lee Carsley was at Tottenham Hotspurs one day taking a coaching session and John Matt, the then academy uh, director, walked with Lee and there was a centre forward uh, doing shooting practice and they watched from afar, right? And he repeated this, these shots into the top corner near enough every single time. And John says to Lee, listen, we're going to go over, we're going to watch and I'm going to start to shout things to him and see how it affects his performance. Classic, right? Simple experiment. <laughs> they walked over in behavioural psychology, walked over, and sure enough, as they stood there watching, John started to shout things to him like, uh, you know, more in the corner or uh, keep it down a little bit lower. He started to miss the target completely. Mm. Now, this is the this is the point at which we're talking about, you know, how much too much on the dial, okay? Sometimes the, the, the trauma, talent needs trauma. It's a great phrase. So the intervention can be to dial the pressure up just to the point where there's that stretch. It's just outside the comfort zone mm. of what I'm currently capable and confident in doing, right? Not so much that you're going to break me. So he wasn't, he, he didn't bring the player over and humiliate him in front of all of the coaches. They walked away together afterwards. And the coach became an, I don't want to say the word uh, expert, but finely tuned in observing the behavioral response to that situation. Enough to know that I might come back next week and do the same thing and see how you get on there. <laughs> and then I might bring a friend or we might record you actually and then show it to you afterwards. Some kind of stimulus mm. to intervene, perhaps to distract, you know? So, no, I can see a thing. Yeah, no, because I'm just thinking a couple of different things are popping in my head there. Uh, first of all, um, I, I totally understand the concept, and I think I think it is, you know, I guess a very basic example, but a good one nonetheless. So I guess the question is, I personally, you know, like like yourself, I've, I've maybe shifted in my way in the way I work and how I perceive coaching and what I perceive coaching to be, and the impact I potentially want to have on my players over the years. Um, to the point where I was very directive before. I used to be quite uh, heavy on. I want it to look like this. I'm, I'm telling them what to do. So it was. It was no. It was fully dependent rather than independent. Um, but then also, I'm not fully satisfied by the idea of players being independent either. Uh, I believe there should be, uh, you know, that almost that branch in between that level in between of in interdependence. Um, and if I'm looking at it holistically, you know, I guess if we use the four corner model as an example. Yes, technically, tactically, I want you to be fully proficient. I want you to be fully aware of how to maybe uh, use a number of tools from a technical technical toolbox and apply them in a tactical context. Um, and that could be independent, potentially, but I don't want it to be dependent more than anything else. But as much as you're 
fully, I guess, equipped and uh, uh, capable and competent on that side of things. I also want you to be very socially and psychologically aware. So are you actually aware of why you're picking the decisions that you're picking? Are you aware of the, the factors that are affecting uh, your decision making or what are you actually considering in that moment? So again, becoming more aware and self-aware, not just on how the environment and the people around you are impacting you, but how maybe and you use the word they're attuned. So for instance, if, if a player is going through a technique of, of, of a shot or, or whatever it may be, I've kind of gone down this path where I want it to become interdependent and I want you to really become uh, skilled or attuned, if you like, as you said, to your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions as you're going through the action. So as an example, if you take a shot and it doesn't work out, are you able to pinpoint at some way through that process why it didn't work out for you? Um, and I'm really, I'm really kind of passionate about it to the point where, you know, people often ask, you know, this question is always, like, what kind of coach are you, you know, what's your philosophy and this and that. And, I, you know, from a playing perspective, I don't really have a philosophy. I'm not really bothered about that because ultimately my experience tells me that if you, if you follow the principles of play, however they, however they need to be applied in a given context, whether that be, you know, going long, going short, building up, whatever that might be, at the end of the day, they're there for a reason and they're, they're there to achieve one thing. And that's the outcome of trying to score a goal and eventually win the game. Um, and there's no coach or no player or no, no one in this world that can tell me otherwise. Because if Pep Guardiola, we've seen it at, at Man City, we've seen it, whoever, whichever coach, they've got a style of play. But if it's on to go long, they're going long. Um, and that's the realities of it. Um, and on the flip side of that, You've got Louis van Gaal and his time at Man United where that just wasn't a priority. It was just maintaining possession rather than having a purpose behind it. So without going too far off track, but it's about, for me, identifying the why. So I often maybe speak to players and I really try and understand the why. So if other coaches ask me what my philosophy is, is well, I see myself as a coach of the why and not necessarily the what or the how. I'm not really bothered how they achieve an outcome. Yes, there might be things that we could do as coaches to kind of refine it, polish it up and maybe tweak it a little bit. But I'm more interested in getting them to understand why they've selected that technique in the way they have. What have they paid attention to in that moment? Have they chosen a decision because a player is maybe five yards away as opposed to being seven yards away? Have they chosen it because of maybe in that moment they had a certain feeling or uh, there was a different comfortability about this position of their body that they were more in tune with um, that meant this was the right moment to play the, play the pass or receive it in a particular way, if that makes sense. So I guess from that perspective... You said it's really important for the coach to obviously see it from the player's perspective. Mm. What kind of conversations then, you know, in a roundabout way I've gone there, but what kind of conversations are you then expecting the coaches to potentially have with these players and really try and understand their perspectives? Mm. You know, the, the most simple and probably basic one is, is that we get taught and we kind of learn is, well, go and stand in a position where you can see what the players can see. Yeah, that's, that's great. I can probably see the angle, but reality is I'm never actually going to see what they can see unless I find out what they're actually paying attention to. Mm. So... Off the back of that, you know, my question to you is, what yeah. are the types of conversations we're having? Should conversations even be had? Or do we use a different means to kind of assess and interact with that with that element? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> there's so much great stuff in there, yes. Uh, I'm taking notes as well, by the way. <laughs> never, mind, uh, never mind me uh, giving the advice. I would say uh, it takes as much skill to ask the right questions mm. you know in the right way at the right time mm. uh, with the right personality 
uh, as it does to know all the answers. And for far too long, coaching has traditionally, in England anyway, traditionally relied on this um, autocratic uh, method of, I'm going to tell you and you're going to do it. And if you question me, then you're on the bench or you're not going to play because I'm in charge. And there's this uh, fundamentally flawed, you know, tr- almost tribal sort of the gaffer in football. So what he says goes. And, and no one's allowed to challenge that. You can't have a discussion about that. So players get really good at understanding that, you know, if I do what the coach says, then that me the reward of that means I'm going to play. So why would I ever jeopardize my position in the team by disagreeing or you know trying to? Say, and then the other thing that happens not only not only as coaches do we want to tell our players what to do, if they disagree with us or if we ask them you know how did you see that situation and they tell me the worst mistake I can make as a coach is to say well actually you know you're wrong because this is actually what happened because mm. all the player <laughs> all the player thinks is. I've just shared with you exactly how I saw the situation. You're disagreeing. You weren't in the situation. You couldn't see what I saw. You couldn't yeah. feel what I felt. No, and I think you make a great point there, Tommy. And it really kind of brings me to an experience I've I've had with many times with a player. And I'm really, I probably was that coach. And if you know, you're wrong. That's not what happened. But actually, I don't know what happened until I find out from their perspective what happened. Yeah. I can see objectively, and wow, this is I, I, this is what I believe to have happened. But that's for me. You know, I, I like to use a, I like to use the phrase sometimes. You know, you can't see the picture if you're if you're within the frame. So you know, for me being for me being on the side, and I can I can actually have a look and see right. Actually, this is what I think. And like I said, as as, as much as we can kind of pick up a position that allows us to see what they potentially have a view or, or an an eye view of, I'm never going to understand it because it's not just what they see and it's how it's again. And these are why it's really important to me to kind of understand and or even help the players even understand because often they don't uh, maybe have the answers to these questions unless they ask them how did you feel in that moment what did you pay attention to how did it impact you how did you you know not just feel physically but emotionally um and also i I, and i I, then i kind of utilize it in, in my in my practice design a little bit where I might think, right, as an example, we've got a practice. I play the ball to you. You're five yards away. I probably wouldn't do it like this, but just giving a basic example, um, I have a player that's two yards behind you. That player is always going to be behind you, but depending on how many yards he's behind you, I want to kind of uh, almost gauge, if you like, at what point does the pressure get cranked up too much for you? Um, And it's not a case that the, the player could be just a static player. But at what point does his, uh, I guess, his position in the space that you're in affect you? Is it because is it when he's a yard away from you? Is it when he's five yards away from you? Now, the more I can start to, I guess, uh, bring your awareness and your attention to those things, hopefully the better we can, or the better we can kind of work together in terms of, if you like, finding a solution to overcome that sort of challenge or understand closely, right, actually, when you're the one playing in that position, as as an example, it could be playing up top with his, with his back to goal. When you're playing up back to goal, the best best time for us to feed you in is when the guy's two yards away, not when he's right up your back. And actually then utilise that sort of information to kind of work with the, you know, the strategy of the team and however, however else you wish to view it. So I'm, I'm really interested to know maybe what your thoughts are on an approach like that, firstly. And secondly, 
if you've got any examples of where you've maybe had some of these sorts of conversations with players and what the general kind of uh, response has been, because largely, like you said, the approach is very autocratic. Um, and obviously, coach education um, has changed massively to the point where it is now about being having a holistic approach. Um, so I guess the second question is, have you maybe come across someone who's maybe describing their philosophy or their way of working in a similar way that I am now? Yeah, first of all, I love what you're saying, to see, to see the world's, world through the eyes of the players, to ask them questions. What did you see? What were you aware of? What did you think? These are questions that really should be in, certainly in the modern day world, in a coach's toolkit, fundamental questions. Um, <clears throat> then the other part of that is, you mentioned earlier this concept of interdependency. Mm. So we move from a phase of just understanding the individual to sharing that understanding in and amongst this living, breathing organism that is the team. And we bring that to discussion. We share those conversations. We share the learning. We share the insights. Mm. When you do that, the outcome uh, is better understanding of self and each other. Mm. So that I know where and when you want the ball, how you want the ball, why you want the ball, where and when you want the ball, because we've talked about it. Mm. We've aligned ourselves in the same vision, this connected, this unified understanding mm. of each other. And I call it a living, breathing organism because it changes, it evolves, it adapts, it moves so fast. And it's not rigid. One of the biggest things about coaching in England is that we've been for far too long one-dimensional. Mm. And we put practices on with a cone there and a cone there, and the ball goes forwards and backwards, and that's it. We repeat it, and, and that's our passing drill, you know? Mm. I'm not saying that a closed skill like that doesn't have value and benefit, but in of and by itself certainly isn't optimal. And when it's repeated too often in the absence of interference, you really only get one outcome, which is the ability to do it in that closed yeah. environment. As soon as you add interference or a, 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 you know opposition or defenders, it becomes difficult. So... In many ways, you know, yes, um, I'm a big fan of um, simple practices with interference, allowing the coach to observe how much is too much, mm. allowing the player to experience the interference and actually feel how much is too much, see what they perhaps didn't see before. You know, if I can do it against 1v1 scenarios, can I do it 1v2? Can I do it 1v3 with a support player in my favour who mm. plays behind the lines? You know, and, and we add interference, we build it. It's, a, it's an ongoing, systematic um, dial, as you yeah. described earlier. Yeah. You know, as a focus, if we can really get good at understanding that it isn't just so one-dimensional, we can increase or decrease sure. at any time. No, I, I think you make a great point there. We can get a chance of developing better players. Mm. And, and no, it's it definitely a great point. It, it kind of brings me around that one of the key things I say, uh, I don't believe in unopposed practice. Um, I don't, it's not to say that it doesn't have some benefits and, I, and I, I'm not saying that at all, but I definitely don't see how it can be the most, and I guess it's the most efficient way of working if, if efficient at all. Um, so for me, it, you know, if, if I was uh, reduced to having to do a, uh, an unopposed practice, for me, it's still important to kind of, add that context in this as an example we could be 1v1 unopposed and just doing that five yard passing drill as you put it now if i just throw in there a spanner in the works and say right tom 
I want you to play the pass to me as if there's someone on your right hand shoulder and he's two yards away. So whenever you receive it back, just imagine there's a player two yards away on your right hand shoulder. You now have to change the way you play. And if you don't, then you, you probably don't understand Absolutely. the context enough. And uh, I often, you know, uh, last couple of years, I've been working in coach education and it, it, it almost grates on me at times when, when, when people are, are, are dedicated to doing unopposed practices. I, I just don't understand it. But, you know, each to their own, I guess. And, you know, um, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of obviously time. I really wanted to kind of talk about this 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 element here before we kind of bring um, some of the listeners potentially into the conversation as well. I mean, just on that note, guys, you know, you are tuned into the live edition of the Coaches Network podcast. Um, I'm here with my guest, Tom Bates. Tom is a UEFA licensed coach, performance psychologist, speaker and author of the book, The Future Coach. Um, we're talking about, you know, how to reach your peak performance, what it means. Um, and we're going to soon be talking about applying some peak performance principles, but there will be an opportunity for you guys to get in with some questions please join in the conversation. Um, raise your hands when the time is right um, and use the hashtag on Twitter, the Coaches Network podcast to let people know um, your thoughts on the discussion and potentially to invite other people into the conversation. Um, what you can also do while you're there, guys, if you hit my profile uh, picture, Tom's profile picture, hit that follow button and the bell next to it so you can be alerted when this future conversation is taking place. Um, but back over to you, Tom, you know, talking about those peak performance principles. What are they? And how do they work? <laughs> we know that we did it on three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first one is self-awareness. If if each of if we're talking to all the listeners now, uh, any guys out there, whether you're a coach, whether you're an athlete or not, you know, we we talked about what peak performance is, and that is unleashing our inner potential. What is that inner potential? Well, first of all, we have to really get good at asking ourselves, what do I really want? What do I really want? What What is it? And why do I want it? Why do I want it? You know, most of us never really ask those deeper questions, the inner work that it takes. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about the action that we take. The action comes later. This is, if you like, the seeds, the roots of the tree starts with, with us, self-understanding. You know, there's a maxim that's uh, inscribed at the Temple of Apollo in Greece. Uh, Delphi, know thyself, know thyself, self-awareness, knowing ourselves, understanding ourselves is the fundamental prerequisite for um, achieving our peak potential, peak performance, you could say. Start with self, always seek to understand self, spend time. One of the things we don't do, especially because of the pace of the modern day world, with the pandemic, perhaps it's... Um, you know, we've been forced, there's a forced stillness, mm. if you like, to uh, uh, eject from the busyness of the world, to quieten ourselves down a little bit and become more familiar with asking these questions of ourselves, you know? Mm. What is it that I really want? What is my, you know, for, I don't want to get so deep with this right now for anyone tuning in, but, uh, you know, when we talk about purpose, what is yours? You know, what meaning? Do you want to have? How do you want to make the world a better place? If you ask me why I coach, why do I coach? I coach to help improve um, people. That's that's my basic answer. Mm. It's a service for the people that I work with. Yes, they're high performers, and yes, they some of them are celebrities and they perform at the very highest level. But if I'm coaching a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old or whoever it is that I'm with, 
for me, there is not a greater joy in the world than to help uh, that person to be a better version of themselves. So I know that because I've spent time thinking about why I do what I do, what my purpose is, you know. So if we can get curious enough to ask ourselves those questions, then I think we become more aware of what it is that we want, why we want it, and what we need to do to go about achieving it. Those three questions can be powerful for anyone, wherever you are, whatever you do. I think you know some great points and like I said it's is really about that self-awareness piece and I think you know these are kind of the I guess in some ways uh, on a more micro scale some of the questions I do kind of lend to my players if you like um but you know I'm conscious of time I want to kind of get give the listeners an opportunity to jump in in here as well so guys um if you have a question for Tom feel free to raise your hands uh, come to the stage ask a question if you've got one, of course, um, don't feel pressured. I don't think anyone's got any questions for you. I think you've just kind of blown them away, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a couple here. Let's see what we've got. My wife says I talk too much. Can you believe it? Yes. Uh, no, I can't, man. I get the same. So I, I, can, I know the feeling. <laughs> right. Um, up to the stage. So we've got Jacques and we've got Kat. So Jacques, welcome to the stage. Um, just introduce yourself and let us know what your question is and we'll go from there. I, I've, uh, I've got a video with you as well, so I'm both on stage. Excuse me. Um, Tom, um, yes, thanks for having me on. Um, great conversation, great insight. Um, only question I had really was, what's been um, your experiences of best practice so far? Is there one that really sticks out to you both? That's close to, to nailing um, what you believe in. So it's on the SAS. Did you hear that all right, Tom? Best practice. Yeah. One that stands up for me. Yeah. Uh, Jack, that's an amazing um, uh, question because there are two immediately that jump to spring to mind when I'm thinking about it. And um, they're not actually technical, tactical practices. Uh, so I'm going to try to tell this story as quickly as possible. 2011, I was very privileged to be invited to travel to uh, FC Barcelona and um, spend a few days watching the first team and uh, being, uh, you know, chaperoned around the place and learning about the philosophy and culture, etc. And um, I remember one day, in particular, I was watching. Um, it was the it was a, the first team were about to play Arsenal in the Champions League semi-final. Van Persie got the second uh, yellow in that game. I remember that. But, but on that day, I was in at the training ground and I was watching the youth team uh, prepare to play, I think it was the under-12s, um, and they were against a, another Spanish team. But I remember watching as the players themselves, the whole team, uh, before the game, carried every single player on the, in the under-12s Barcelona team, went to the goal to set up the goal. They carried the goal as a team, physically, both goals to either end. Then they got the four corn flags, and then they, uh, two of the players ran across the linesman to give them the flags. And I remember before the game, the team lined up and they went to shake hands with every single one of their opponents. And I was thinking about that from a cultural perspective, players taking ownership, not waiting for the staff and coaches to do their jobs for them, if you like, but earn the right, you know, live as a family, take care of ourselves. We take care of the team. We take care, we, we take responsibility, if you like, 
And then the same day, I was watching the under-18s play against uh, Bayer Leverkusen, which was a, a really important game for them. Um, it was a league game. Uh, it was very close. It finished 1-1. But I was intrigued by the way that the coaches were behaving on the on the sidelines. And I remember seeing the Bayer Leverkusen coach charge up and down the, the touchline, like literally military style, shouting at the players. You know, he had a clipboard under his arm. I think he might have even had a whistle around his neck. You know, it was like 1980s gym coach, like going crazy at the players. And you could see the German players, they were like trying to play the game, but they were looking across to the coach at the same time. They were trying to play the game, but they were, they were sort of, you know, the coach was significant, you know, he was harming the players. He was damaging the performances. The Barca coach, and this is a game that was so close, by the way, Jack. The Barca coaches, in the shade of the dugout, every time the players did something well, they sort of stood up and gave them a clap. And every time they did something wrong, they might have stood up and whistled and then pointed a little bit, but then sat down. And for the majority of the game, they let the players perform, you know, make mistakes. And the game finished 1-1. And afterwards, with my translator, I was asking, you know, to the, to the under-18s coaches, surely if you'd, have, <laughs> if you'd have given them more information in this game, then they must have been able to perform better. You might have been able to win, even, if you'd have helped them more. You know, whilst the game's going on. And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget the Barcelona coach looking back at me as if I was some crazy, crazy guy from England, right? And he's like, <laughs> he looks back at the translator and he says to him, yes, the players are going to make more mistakes. And that's the point. That's the purpose. I'm giving them the platform. How would I ever know how much they've learned during the week unless... I give them the space and time to make decisions independently of me. And I remember, Jack, I was thinking, ping, there's a light bulb goes off moment, you know, for me then. And because Monday to Friday, that's the coaching time. That's the time for the coach to work with the players, to impart knowledge, to, to set the game plan, to work with the individual different, you know, individual plans. Game day is their space and time because when they eventually get if we start from the end and work backwards at the new camp with 90,000 watching if you think that the first team players are going to hear every single word that the manager says you're, you're deluded they're not going to hear a single word they have to be able to perform in the absence of the constant intervention from the coach so mm. that stands out as a really uh, powerful you know learning experience for me as a young coach Ideal. Thank you for, for the insight. And it was it was about the, the culture and environment that I was um, aiming for rather than the practice. So no, thank you so much for sharing. Cheers, yes, incredible again. No, thank you for your questions, Jack. Um, Tom, we've got Cat up next. Cat, if you just uh, introduce yourself, let us know your question, please. Yeah, thank you. So this is Cat. I'm, I'm from the United States. So my question to kind of follow up on that is about vulnerability and. I know here in the culture that I'm in, if you show that you're vulnerable, whether as a player or as a coach, it's seen as a weakness. Um, so I know I'm personally working on that, but how do you encourage other coaches or players themselves that like it's okay to be vulnerable and how to pull that vulnerability out of them, letting them know that it's a it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to show that vulnerability because that's how you grow. Can you hear me? Yeah. 
think so. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Hey. Yeah, it's a fantastic question, isn't it? It's a wonderful question. And also, Kat, it's a great reminder for all of us that the greatest strength comes from being able to be vulnerable. The greatest strength actually comes from sharing our vulnerabilities openly. Uh, and yet there is something about the ego, the world of not just professional football or football that fuels that is fueled by insecurity. We, you know, I can't admit that I don't know everything because then I might not be seen as, you know, <laughs> the maestro, the jet, the, the, the conductor of the orchestra. But in actual fact, there's something great that happens when we share the vulnerabilities, when we ask the questions of the players, you know, guys, I don't know exactly what happened. I've got an idea, but can you help me? You know, Yas said earlier, um, to ask the questions of, of the players, what did you see? How were you feeling? Uh, what were you aware of? The reason those are great questions is because, number one, it gives the player the platform to discuss and explore and approach. But number two, it's sending a secondary message, which is, I don't know everything there is to know about the situation. And so therefore, in order for us to succeed, we is bigger than me. Mm. I need you guys and you need me. And together, when we're open and honest and authentically vulnerable, we have the, the ability to help our team to transcend. And when we talk about this living, breathing organism, you know, of the team, giving a voice to each player can be one of the single biggest empowering. You know, there was a coach at West Brom. I'll quickly tell this story. A guy called Jimmy Shan, under-18s coach. He's now a manager. And um, I remember a team talk that he gave at halftime. We were uh, losing 2-0 to a team that we really should have been beating. And he said to three of the players, one of the captains, it was the under-18s uh, youth team, before we went into the dressing room, he said, boys, I'm going to step back from the team talk because I think that you're seeing what's going on a lot better than I am. So I need three points at halftime. I'm going to give you the space. I'll step back as the coach, and if you need me, I'm here. Halftime came. The players delivered the team talk. Other players chipped in. The tension was completely removed. They came up with three brilliant pieces of um, strategy to, as an action plan for the second half. And, you know, we can all do this as coaches. This is not a secret. This doesn't cost lots of money. This isn't some, it's not an app that you have to download that's going to cost you, you know, thousands of dollars or pounds. It's a very simple skill. So, Kat, when you're talking about being vulnerable, it really is one of the greatest um, skills or services, you could say, that we can that we can provide as a coach. Magic happens when we're authentically vulnerable and give the players a voice and space to share back. I just want to kind of add to that, Tom. You know, you some great points there. And two of them really resonate with me. First of all, is that vulnerability piece. I find that for myself, when I'm working with my players, being vulnerable even to the point where I actually openly say, Do you know what, I, I want to know what you see so that we can work together. And, you know, even if it comes to me putting on a new practice, guys, I've never tried this practice before. This might completely go left, but I'm hoping it does go right. And, you know, with your help, we're going to make it right if it's not. And I think that vulnerability it almost it, again transcends and transforms the way they see you. Rather than being a leader that's taking them on a journey, you're almost that leader that's on the journey with them. And I think that that does that does massive things for their for their for their psyche and the way they look at you and maybe have a trust within you. And you know, the second part, um, 
just on a team talk element, something that I tend to do with a lot of the play, a lot of the teams and I've worked with in the past is actually I'll make a few points around what I wanted, maybe potentially touch on in the halftime team talk, even post game or even pre game. But what I what I often do and it kind of is in alignment with what you've just said there a bit, Tom, is split them up into their units potentially and ask them to come come up with some ideas or points or observations that they've made, both in possession, out possession, maybe as a unit of defenders, as a unit of midfielders, and maybe, you know, the forward unit and obviously the goalkeeper attached to the defenders potentially, just to kind of see, right, here's my list. As an example, I might have three or four points on my list that I want to touch on. Now, the reality is if they can pick up on the same points that I'm wanting to cover, I don't really need to say anything. It's almost like, well done, you know, I'm glad you've observed that. Now they've observed it. Now come up with an action point or a, a plan of action beyond it. But I don't actually need to raise the point of, right, this is what I've seen because they've already seen it. I don't need to kind of drum in that information and potentially waste any time. Um, and speaking of time, I'm very conscious of it. Um, so Kat, thank you for your question. Um, guys, just a, you know, just a final reminder, we, you know, you are listening to the Coaches Network uh, podcast. Tom, I think we've got one more question if you've got time to take it. Um, very tight, I know. I've got 60 seconds, so right. the next meeting. Go, <laughs> go on, let's, let's see if we can get him on and, and get this one done. Dan, yes, you're up. Good everyone. Thank you, yes. Thank you for having me up. I appreciate you. Thank you, Mr. Bates. I appreciate you as well. Hope you're well. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, great to see you. Speak to you. Good. So, uh, I think you may have mentioned it, I may have missed it. Um, can you just, um, my question basically is, what are the key principles of reaching peak performance? <laughs> <laughs> this is the question that I said in the last three hours. I'll try to sum it up. <laughs> that is a great question. Okay, I'm going to try to sum it up. So first of all, we talked about, that's okay, no, no problem at all. Um, Okay, peak performance, what is it? Uh, peak performance, for me, the idea of peak performance is unleashing your, your full inner potential, whatever level that is. Before, I would have defined that as performing at the highest level, but the highest level for each of us is different, right? So it's this idea of unleashing the inner potential within us, whatever level that is at, whether that's Champions League or whether that's playing at the grassroots level, the best that I'm capable of giving within myself. And uh, I spoke with Yas earlier and we were talking about self-awareness being the key, one of the keys to unlock peak performance. Asking, you know, why is it that I do what I do? Yeah, what do I really want? And what is what do I need to do to be better at what it is that I do? All right, but the key one about that is spending the time to ask ourselves the question, what is it that I really want? Why do I want it? And what do I need to do to be better at it? And so there are many, many other principles of peak performance, but, but starting with self, asking those questions of ourselves as coaches and as players to give ourselves the opportunity to unleash that full inner potential. That's the best I can do with 60 seconds down. Right. <laughs> and it, 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 Tom, Tom's already committed to elaborating that on, on a part two. Isn't that right, Tom? right uh guys again just a quick reminder you have been tuned into the coaches network live edition with tom bates um you have a licensed coach performance psychologist speaker and author of the book 
the future coach. And on that note, um, this episode will be released in a few weeks on the social platforms. Um, and there will be a giveaway for Tom's book on there. But Tom, just before we kind of head off, would you mind just letting the listeners know where they can get in touch with you should they have uh, any questions or um, wanted to know more about what we've discussed and maybe keep an eye out for that giveaway when it does come up? Sure. Awesome. Yes. Thanks very much for your time. I've uh, loved the question, loved this thinking space together. I'm on all the socials. Uh, Tom, Tom at TomBatesCoaching.com uh, is uh, my uh, website, TomBatesCoaching.com. You can find the book, The Future Coach, uh, Coaching Tomorrow Soccer Players uh, Today on Amazon. Uh, you can also reach out through the website to get a copy of that. And the free signed copy will be released uh, for any coaches who will be tuning in. Yas has got a special secret uh, strategy to select the well-deserved uh, recipient of uh, recipient of that of that book. So that will be released soon. Um, but from me, uh, Yas, thanks very much to you as well for providing this space on behalf of not just myself, but all the coaches that tune in from around the world. It's a fantastic uh, initiative and I want to take this time to wish you every success on your coaching journey as well. Likewise, Tom, thank you again for your time this evening. Guys, um, feel free to kind of just uh, ping myself and Tom to pop on our profiles, follow us, hit that bell so you know when any future conversations are taking place. Use the hashtag the Coaches Network podcast. Um, and thank you for being part of the conversation tonight, guys. I will be ending the room. Um, but until next time, guys, take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.